0: Hello, my rebels. Today, I'm going to take you through two access to information documents. One will show you just how much, jet, how much jetting around public health officials, Teresa Tam's staff did, when they were telling you not to fly. You'll be shocked. And the next is showing how much money they spent on pro-vaccine, anti-anti-vaccine propaganda. Tens of millions of dollars to silence critics of their vaccine mandates. I'll show you the documents that's ahead. But before I do, let me invite you to become a subscriber to Rebel News Plus. In this case, it gives you the video version of my podcast. So you'll see the access to information documents with your own eyes. It also gives you access to four other shows we do a week. So my daily show plus four weekly shows, that's a lot of stuff for just eight bucks a month. Go to rebelnewsplus.com and click subscribe. All right, here's today's podcast. tonight while the public health doctors were telling you not to fly they made hundreds of flights at your expense i'll show you the proof oh and it gets worse it's april 8th and this is the Ezra levant show Why should others go to jail when you're a biggest carbon consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. The only thing I have to say to the government about why i it is because it's my bloody right to do so. You know they didn't mean it. Any of it. You know that. Wear your mask. Don't gather with friends or family. Don't travel. You know none of them meant it, right? Here's Jason Kenney, Alberta's premier, with his health minister at the time, having a private rooftop party on a private rooftop restaurant in a private government office just for him and his pals at precisely the time it was illegal for mere citizens to gather in a restaurant or indeed in a church or private home in the same way. A boozy party. Masks? Are you kidding? Six feet of separation? Anti-gathering rules? Those are for the little people. It's a spectacular picture. And the building he's in, nicknamed the Sky Palace, it's got They got, got its name from the notorious luxury that created a scandal for an earlier premier. They just can't stay away, can they? Half of Kenny's senior staff and cabinet ministers were caught sneaking out of the province for sunny vacations when they were telling the little people not to fly. No, look, it's not just Jason Kenny; It's all of them. Here's Trudeau partying at the G7 super spreader event. No mask. He refused to quarantine like others had to do. Britain's Boris Johnson was having boozy parties of his own at 10 Downing Street while the country was on a deep lockdown, just for the proles, though. I really don't think there's a single politician or health official who actually followed their own rules. Rules that were often made up out of thin air. Here's the former FDA commissioner now working for Pfizer.
1: And you're right, the six feet was arbitrary.
2: The six feet was arbitrary in and of itself. But if the administration had focused in on that, they might have been able to affect a policy that would have actually achieved their outcome. But Mm -hmm. that policymaking process didn't exist. And the six feet is a perfect example of sort of the lack of, Um, rigor around how CDC made recommendations. Nobody knows where it came from. Most people assume that the six feet of distance, the recommendation for keeping six feet apart, comes out of some old studies related to flu, where droplets don't travel more than six feet. We now know COVID spreads through aerosols. The initial recommendation that the CDC brought to the White House, and I talk about this, was 10 feet. And a, a political appointee in the White House said, we can't recommend 10 feet. Nobody can measure 10 feet. It's inoperable. Society will shut down. So the compromise was around six feet. They just
0: made it up. But there has been no one worse than Teresa Tam. Just, just atrocious. Remember, she simultaneously worked for the China-run World Health Organization while also acting as Canada's chief public health officer. Remember that? How can you be loyal to two masters? Why was she working for the UN's World Health Organization while also purporting to work for Canadians? That's a conflict. I won't get into that whole thing again, but she really is just the worst, just heartless and bizarre and weird. Remember this? This is her great contribution to the pandemic. (laughs) Wear a mask while having sex, Dr. Teresa Tam suggests. Yeah, I don't think I ever want to hear her talking about sex, let alone her giving instructions, let alone such bizarre, obviously unscientific BS. So, so weird. Say, do you think she followed that rule? I mean, really? So look at this, an access to information document. It's a list of hundreds of flights, including luxury business class flights and enormous hotel bills of Teresa Tam's staff during the period of time she told us not to fly, countless, while mere mortals were told to stay home or Meet with each other by Skype or Zoom, these extremely important people just had to jet around. They just had to. A third of a million dollars they spent on travel during the travel advisory period is in when they told you not to fly. But the flying is the least of it. Some of these public health bureaucrats, they build 25000 dollars for hotel accommodations? How? How do you spend twenty-five grand on hotel rooms in one trip? Are you in the presidential suite somewhere? Just what did you put on the room service tab? These are for individual trips. They forced hundreds of thousands of working class people into poverty and unemployment, putting us on lockdowns like we're prisoners. But that's precisely the moment that they began their jet setting. They're so gross, aren't they? Remember, never believe that they believed any of this. But look at what else is revealed in an access to information document. Trudeau diverted $14 million from vaccine acquisition towards vaccine propaganda. I'm serious. They took the fourteen mil from taxpayers. They took it from taxpayers claiming they were going to use it to save lives. But that was just a trick. Once they had the money, they spent it on propaganda. Look at the memo's title here. I'll read it. Approval for funding allocation increase. COVID-19 vaccine misinformation and disinformation. That's what they call anyone who disagrees with the government. Uh, Look at that box there. This memorandum seeks your approval to allocate additional funding to address misinformation, MIDI, uh, related to COVID-19 vaccination under the Public Health Agency of Canada's Immunization Partnership Fund. With your concurrence, $14 million will be reallocated from available funding in the MCM-3A vaccine acquisition envelope to establish a new funding stream dedicated to reducing COVID-19 vaccine MIDI. MIDI is what they call misinformation, disinformation. $14 million for propaganda? That is incredible. You know, police are now investigating Jerry Diaz, the former president of the Unifor Union, for taking that $50,000 bribe from some COVID company to promote COVID hysteria and, and their products and to keep fear-mongering going. Now, Jerry Diaz was caught, and, and he's being investigated, but he he was caught because he shared his money with someone. Now, that was 50 grand. Where did the 14 million here go? Is it is it just by chance, do you think, that CTV and CBC and Global News are full-time fear-mongers about COVID-19, that all these TV doctors just won't shut up about it? that they'll never tell you the other side of the story, never, never even talk about the other side of the story. Is that by chance? Or did some of this $14 million get sloshed around Jerry Diaz? Style? What do you think? And do you think they would disclose it to us if they did? i read some more from this memo. It's incredible. This action also requires a vote transfer from operating funds to grants and contributions, which will be submitted in supplementary estimates, A, as well as a reprofile request to transfer funding from 2021, 2022, to 2022, 2023. But if, if you if you think that's a lot of money, look at this. If you think the $14 million is a lot of money, that's what we're talking about, moving money around. But that's just the new money they're adding to it. Look at what they call current status. Sorry for getting to get into the gobbledygook there, just wanted to show you the memo. itself. So look at this. The Immunization Partnership Front, IPF, is the federal government's flagship... Funding program in support of vaccine confidence, I like that phrase, originally scheduled to sunset on March 31 of this year, the IPF received additional funds in the amount of $30 million. So that's, they just got an extra 30, and now they got the extra 14. How do you spend this much money on propaganda? That's like the Coca-Cola advertising budget for Canada. vaccine confidence, I really like that phrase. They think the propaganda war is so important, though, that they're literally proposing to take money away from vaccine procurement, that is actually buying the vaccines, and give it to the propaganda war, repurpose it to fight MIDI. That's what they call anyone who disagrees with them. Who got all that money? The $30 million top-up, the $14 million top-up, and that's just top-ups from this one department, the public health agency that's not even the whole federal health department that's just part of it and that's not every other provincial government every city government just how much money was spent on vaccine propaganda across canada and smearing vaccine skeptics there's no way it's less than a quarter billion dollars not a chance and that's just what was paid for All the propaganda masquerading as news produced for free by CTV, CBC Global. What's that worth? You can see why they want to stamp out Rebel News, right? We're one of the few media companies not on the take. They care so much about masks that they don't wear them. They care so much about travel bans that they spend countless of your dollars jetting around. They care so much about vaccines that they divert money from medicine to propaganda. This really is about something else, isn't it? Let's stay with this for more. Well, Christian Freeland has taken a break from seizing bank accounts of peaceful protesters in the truckers' rebellion to seizing a percentage of your hard-earned money through tax time in the form of her new budget, the largest budget in Canadian history, both in terms of spending and in terms of taxation. Joining us now to talk about it is a man who's delved into the details of the budget, our friend Franco Terrazano, the federal director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, who joins us now via Skype from Ottawa. Franco, am I right to say this is the largest amount of money ever extracted from Canadians?
2: Yeah, this is another big spending budget. Ezra, the only way to call this budget is another credit card budget from Canada's national credit card government. We're seeing another huge deficit this year, more than $50 billion. Now, the government is already more than a trillion dollars in debt, and this budget over the next few years is going to add another $150 billion to the debt tab. But it's not just the debt that taxpayers need to worry about, this government is also wasting a ton of money on interest charges. Now, every single month, taxpayers are gonna have to pay more than $2 billion on interest charges on the government's credit card bills.
0: You know, I'm worried about interest charges because of course everyone who has a mortgage ought to be worried about it. We've had a very long period of very low interest rates, which is great for people buying homes, but now we see inflation. I, w- w- does the budget do anything but pour gas on that fire? I mean, I, I can't believe some of the prices I see out there for basic things. I mean, forget about just gas at the gas pump, but food and, and I, I, I don't know. I, th- I think of people who rely on these input costs, like a farmer or a trucker. Housing is just insane. Well, I think, I think for Toronto, it's up about twenty-nine percent. Housing prices in one. You you can't even get into a house if you're a young person and it gets further away from you every year. Is there any realization of that reality in the budget? Are there is there any uh, are they aware or are they just acting like it's
2: like it's always been? Well, Ezra, the government likes to talk about affordability. And, of course, so many Canadians are struggling right now. Many Canadians can't afford to fuel their cars with gasoline or to be able to purchase the ground beef at the grocery store. And the reason is, is because you have this federal government that has been spending like crazy for years, raising taxes and having the printing press on overdrive. We just saw the carbon tax increase for the third time during COVID-19. And remember, other countries are providing tax relief. You have South Korea cut gas taxes by 20%. Uh, India, similar story there. Poland, fuel tax relief as well. The United Kingdom just announced fuel tax relief. Alberta, Ontario, those provinces are providing tax relief. So you have all these other countries that are providing their citizens with relief, while Ottawa continues to stick us with higher tax bills. And it almost seems like the government is trying to combat inflation with more government debt. Well, trying to fight inflation with more debt is like trying to put out a fire with a gas can.
0: Yeah. You know, I'm really worried about it. How does it end? I mean, I I suppose theoretically things can keep going up forever. But what happens to the housing market? What happens to I mean, I just I, I think that certain cities are becoming completely unaffordable for young people. If you can't afford a home, you can't start a family. You can't really move out of your parents' place and get married. And your whole life is sort of on pause. And. Like you say, people are getting into energy poverty. Now, you and I know that's a terrible thing to do to a person, but actually the Trudeau ideology is make carbon so expensive. I hate how he says price pollution. Make the use of gasoline so expensive that the pain of paying for it changes people's behavior. That's the theory. That's, I mean, Stefan Dion introduced that to us 15 years ago. He called it the green shift. Trudeau actually believes in that, but... All this pain, all this hardship, how does it
2: end? And the pain's only starting, too. That's what really is so unsettling, isn't it? Right now, the carbon tax, 11 cents per liter of gasoline. Well, this year, the Trudeau government is imposing a second carbon tax. They're sneaking it in what they call fuel regulations, but that could add an extra 11 cents per litre to the price of gasoline. But the Trudeau government wants to continue to raise and raise and raise this carbon tax all the way up to 40 cents per litre of gasoline by 2030. 40 cents per litre just in the carbon tax, let alone actually buying your fuel. So what we've seen is a crazy amount of spending, government that are unwilling uh, to put down the credit card, and even tax hikes, which is pushing up the cost of living here in Canada.
0: Hmm. You know, I've been thinking a lot over the last two years during the lockdown about working people. I mean, that phrase is used a lot to mean different things, but there were a class of people who never stopped working during the lockdowns to keep the rest of us okay. Delivery people in particular. I mean, we've gotten to know a lot of delivery people over the last two years, um, workers, and of course, they're driving around all day gas prices affect them and if if you're riding if you're driving for uber or lyft or whatever or DoorDash, you're paying for your own gas and and it makes me think about inflation in general like if you're rich paying a hundred or a hundred and thirty dollars to fill up your gas tank it stings but you forget about it because you're not thinking oh shoot that means i can't buy groceries it's just it's just a burden if you if you're making six figures paying a lot in gas prices, it's it's a pain in the neck, but if you're making 40 grand or less even, it's a big thing. And I I wanna ask you, we used to have a workers party in this country called the NDP, it was formed by the merger of basically farmers in the West and labor union movement, it really was for working people. Where's the NDP on all of this? I mean, Hmm. surely they see the pain, you know, you're paying extra money at the pump that's going to hurt a working-class person much more than it's going to hurt a rich person.
2: And there really is that divide, right, between the everyday working Canadians, the tax class, and the political elites that are in Ottawa that have completely shielded themselves. Now, Ezra, you mentioned the people who have struggled and worked throughout the pandemic, and they have really been devastated. But let's not forget about the people who may have lost their job because of the revolving government lockdowns, who may have taken a big pay cut, maybe even lost their small business. So this inflation is really biting them. And Ezra, what is so unfortunate is that these politicians have given themselves not one, not two, but three pay raises during the pandemic, and they have become financially divorced from the people that they're supposed to represent. So our politicians in Ottawa are not feeling the pain of the inflation that they're causing.
0: Yeah. You know, I remember a couple of years ago when this automatic pay raise on April Fool's Day came in, some of the conservative MPs said, oh, I'm sure I'll take it, but I'll give it to charity. I don't believe a single one of them has. And I I think that that's a that's a nonpartisan issue. I think they're sort of all in on on it. I find this very depressing. Is there any silver lining there? Is there any is there anything
2: that we can look to and say, well,
0: that's a relief? (laughs)
2: Well, uh, there's some small silver linings, very, very small. Uh, Now, there is some tax relief for medium-sized businesses. The government is expanding the eligibility for small businesses to get the small business tax relief. So that's good news, but it doesn't go nearly far enough. I mean, Canadians have been hammered during the pandemic. Businesses hammered during the pandemic. What we need to see is broad-based tax relief, and we really didn't get that in this budget.
0: Yeah. Of course I, I when I remember I try and blame the lockdowns opposed to the pandemic. I mean the pandemic, of course, it did some damage, but truly it was the lockdowns that devastated the economy. Franco, you're one of the good guys. I'm delighted to talk with you. I want to tell people if they're if they don't have a bookmark yet, make sure to go to taxpayer.com. Uh, it's a great website. You can learn more about Franco, the Taxpayers Federation, one of the few organizations in Canada that is not on the government dole and you can imagine they couldn't be because if if they took money from Trudeau they couldn't speak frankly as uh, we've heard today so Franco you're one of the good guys I want to encourage all if you support Rebel News I think it behooves you if you can to support the Taxpayers Federation one of the few NGOs that actually stands up for the people that's my view because you don't take any dough from Trudeau that right
2: oh we've never taken it and we never will
0: yeah Yeah, that's what we like about you. Well, thanks, my friend. Thanks for
2: the update, and uh, keep up the great work. Well, thanks so much for having me on. Our
0: pleasure. There you have it, Franco Terrazano, Federal Director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. You know, if we had 10 groups like the Taxpayers Federation, Canada would be in a much, much better position than we are now. Thank God for them. Stay with us. More ahead. your viewer feedback someone with the initials jjns says if rebel doesn't seek an immediate injunction this lawsuit will be too late a regular lawsuit like this takes years someone on the inside pushed that question when will it be heard well um we filed that uh, they sent us the letter on february 14th we didn't receive it till late march our lawyers turned around The lawsuit very quickly like in 10 days or something um we're going as fast as we can i think that the worst is yet to come we're talking about the qcjo the qualified canadian journalism organization licensing it really is a journalism license what's amazing to me is they're bringing in a journalism license and i haven't seen one journalist oppose it have you Flambeau One says, will attendees at a town hall meeting be issued journalism licenses to be able to ask questions? What if it is a town hall meeting that is against the liberal government policies? Would they be denied journalism licenses because they are spreading misinformation? Well, I just showed you what $45 million targeting misinformation on one issue alone. Marion Bacon says, how did anyone at the CBC get a journalist license? How many stories on the Freedom Convoy did the CBC have to retract? Please tell us what ministry is responsible for this. It should be swamped with emails. Well, the answer is the Heritage Department came up with the idea, and the Canada Revenue Agency is enforcing the idea. But the panel of censors that made the decision is something altogether different, handpicked by Justin Trudeau. They're all in on it. I'm looking forward to this fight. I think we've got a good chance. We've got excellent lawyers on it. Remember, we beat Trudeau the last time we went to federal court when he banned us from election debates in 2019 and then again in 2021. I, I think that his vendetta is starting to show. Third time he's trying to ban us. I hope so. But, you know, as they say in True Grit, I don't need a good lawyer. I need a good judge. I hope we get one. Let me leave you with our video of the day, our good friend, Sheila. Her exclusive, the Rebel News has obtained Global Affairs Canada, that's the Foreign Affairs Ministry, documents, regarding the World Economic Forum Great Reset meetings. This is a video you'll want to watch. Hey, everybody, have a great weekend. Until Monday, keep fighting for freedom. The term Great Reset,
1: evidence of some sort of
0: grand plot. What do you have to say to this sort of conspiracy theory out on social media now? I think we're in a time of anxiety where people are looking for reasons uh for things that are happening to them that the difficult moments we're in it's nice to be able to try and find someone to blame something to point to something to get mad at i think uh, we're seeing a lot of people fall prey to disinformation and if conservative mps and others want to start talking about conspiracy theories well that's their choice I'm going to stay focused on helping Canadians get through this, on learning lessons from this pandemic, and making sure that the world we leave to our kids is even better than the world we inherited from our parents.
1: Today I have in my hands global affairs documents regarding the so-called conspiracy theory of the Great Reset from the World Economic Forum. These are high-level... Briefing notes to the Minister of Global Affairs at the time, Christia Freeland, for the Great Reset meeting that took place on December 8th, 2020. Now, the meeting took place just weeks after Justin Trudeau called the Great Reset a conspiracy theory. Now, as an aside about Freeland, now, Freeland is a director of Klaus Schwab's World Economic Forum. She's also the granddaughter of a prominent Nazi collaborator who says... She plans to make the federal government's tyrannical emergency powers permanent to deal with Trudeau's anti-COVID mandate critics. And Klaus Schwab, he's about as close to a stereotypical Bond villain as they come in real life. He's this guy here. We
0: do not yet know the full extent and the systemic and structural changes which will happen. However, we do know that global energy systems, food systems and supply chains will be deeply affected.
1: And Klaus Schwab, well, he knows who and what he has under his control. Take a look at this.
0: But um, what we are very proud of now is the young generation, like uh, Prime Minister Trudeau, um, President of of, uh, Argentina and so on, that we penetrate the cabinets.
1: Now, back to the documents. I will publish these documents for you to read for yourself. You don't have to take... My word for what I'm saying, and since we were only able to obtain these documents through your help and your donations to our special access to information and research website, rebelinvestigates.com, these are also your documents too. So let's get right into it. Here's the run of the show, as the bureaucrats call it, the reason for the season of World Economic Forum meetings. And in this, we find out that Christia Freeland is actually the co-chair Of these meetings. She's not just in attendance, she's running the show. Look at this. You've been invited by the World Economic Forum to co chair, along with Taro Kono, Minister of Administrative Reform of Japan, Sigrid Kag, Minister of Foreign Trade and Development Cooperation of the Netherlands, Tito Maboweni, Minister of Finance of South Africa, Dina Powell-McCormick, partner at Goldman Sachs & Company, and Kent Walker, Senior Vice President, Global Affairs at Google, the fourth meeting of the Global Action Group on the post-COVID world. The fourth meeting is intended to finalize and agree upon a set of principles for global cooperation created by the World Economic Forum and further developed at previous meetings. One, strengthen global cooperation. Two, re-globalize equity, whatever that means, it can't be good. Three, rebuild sustainability, sounds expensive. Deepen public-private partnerships. Increase global resilience promote peace and security, and, of course, because it wouldn't be the future or globalism without this one, promote gender equality. The World Economic Forum plans to present these principles to a wider array of global political and business leaders during the Davos Dialogues on January 25th to 29th 2021, and you better believe it, I'll be filing for access to information on any communications they had with Freeland about that meeting. Let's keep going. Key messages. Now, you'll see here that this one takes a swipe at former President Donald Trump and his righteous distrust of the Chinese government and for not swallowing the CCP narrative on COVID hook, line and sinker. Look at this. Further deterioration of U.S.-China relations has impacted the nature and scope of international cooperation, including, among others, within the G20, the UN Security Council, and the World Health Organization. Now, in this next part, I can't tell if this is a criticism or a bit of a how-to manual for Justin Trudeau. Let's read. Other countries have used the disruption to increase domestic control and suppress dissent. This may result in a rise of social unrest, particularly in regions where trust between citizens and government was already weak. The pandemic also appears to be speeding up the use of new technologies, often for good, but also with risks of intrusive technologies, digital surveillance and censorship, sometimes under the pretext of countering, quote, fake news. Now, here's where the World Economic Forum head honchos indicate that we'll use the pandemic to push for open borders, of course, critical race theory, and critical gender theory. Look at this. Respect for human rights, gender equality, and inclusion must be at the center of all efforts to contain and combat the spread and recover from the pandemic. We all know that when people, regardless of their gender, race, income, ability, ethnicity, age, or migratory status, can fully benefit from and participate in economic, political, social, and cultural life, we build safer, more prosperous, equitable, and more sustainable communities and countries. And then of course, In real time, Justin Trudeau announces this. Prime Minister announces measures to advance gender equality worldwide. He's following their script. Let's keep going. Here's the hammer to make the push for critical race and gender theory and open borders and to shut up the opposition to these things. It's right here. It will be online censorship to undo social norms. The response to COVID must not, therefore, be allowed to reproduce or perpetuate existing social norms that fuel inequities and social unrest. This applies to the online sphere, notably as technology has come to permeate everyday life at an accelerated pace in places than was the case before. And here's Trudeau doing just that with a brand new online censorship bill. C-11, but he's also got a second online censorship bill, C-18. Let's keep going, though, from these documents. Under rebuilding equality, we also need to, ah, here we go, build back greener by using this moment to advance climate adaptation and mitigation objectives, preservation of environment and biodiversity, including building more resilient supply chains, and promoting a green transition under rebuild sustainability. The pandemic exposed vulnerabilities in our international system, shedding light on where we can build back better and what is needed to ensure a future where no one is left behind. Canada views the 2030 agenda as a comprehensive framework for responding to and recovering from the COVID-19 pandemic and building more resilient, Inclusive and sustainable societies that can help prevent and better withstand future crises and shocks. Climate change and environment. Sustainable development recognizes the need to balance economic interests with environmental stewardship and social cohesion. It is time to shift to a greener way of thinking about economic growth and understand that building back better, there it is, requires us to build back greener. Just as environmentally conscious policies and practices are a prerequisite to sustainable development, so is achieving gender equality and the empowerment of all women and girls. There's a lot of intersectionality, as they say in these documents. Oh, there's the word. Intersectional gender-based analysis are critical to ensuring that our actions have maximum effectiveness and impact. Initiatives that... Exclude or discriminate only further exacerbate an already dire situation and further risk hard won development gains. Climate change remains a top priority for Canada, even in the midst of this global pandemic. COVID-19 is testing the resilience of populations and economies around the world. And as with the impacts of climate change, the poorest and the most vulnerable people in both developed and developing countries are often hardest hit. We know that we must do more to address climate change, which is why Canada has committed to bringing forward new measures To exceed, that's frightening, our 2030 target and achieve net zero by 2050 and reach net zero emissions by 2050. And just like Justin Trudeau's announcement of funding for gender equity and his two online censorship bills after being given the script by the World Economic Forum, these climate measures are coming. They include a direct attack on the Alberta economy, by the way. You know, when we're all out of work, that plan to do away with private ownership, that scheme from the World Economic Forum, it actually seems a little easier to implement. Don't believe me? Here's the World Economic Forum telling you.